We're going to read two passages from the Gospels this morning. The first is Luke chapter 17, one of the main subjects of the sermon this morning will be our good works. And in Luke 17, we learn the value of our good works as we stand before God. Luke chapter 17. We'll read the first 10 verses of the chapter. Then he then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If he had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow or I think not. So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. The other passage in the Gospels I want to read is Matthew chapter 25. And this speaks both of the reward and the attitude that we should have towards our good works. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a sheep divideth, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. 
Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal, into life eternal. We read this far in the holy inspired word of God, and this morning we are considering Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 24, which can be found on page 13 in the back of the Psalter. Three questions and answers, page 13, question 62. But why cannot our good works be the whole, or part of our righteousness before God. Because that the righteousness which can be approved before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law. And also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. What? Do not our good works merit which yet God will reward in this and in a future life. The reward is not of merit, but of grace. But doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means, for it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Well, I hope you didn't come to church this morning for a pat on the back or to feel good about yourself. That's not exactly the message of the catechism here, not complimentary. It tells us that we can and do merit nothing with God. It tells us that our best is defiled with sin. In the previous Lord's Day, we looked at the truth of justification, and we saw that our justification is complete in Jesus Christ. That justification is a declaration from God concerning our status, our standing before Him, that that does not take into account anything that we might bring or contribute that it is gracious and undeserved, unearned. In fact, grace and with it justification are things that we forfeit by our sin. As we looked at this truth, we talked about double imputation, that our sins and the guilt of our sins are laid on Jesus Christ, and he goes to the cross with them, and his obedience 
is laid on us, imputed to our account. And as we looked at the truth of justification, we made a beautiful personal confession that only of mere grace he imputes to me, to me, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even as if I never had had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ accomplished for me. And that's the beautiful truth that we embrace by faith. One of the things that we talked about when we looked at that Lord's Day was faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And these are the hallmark truths of the Reformed faith and the Reformation. Lord's Day 23, when it talks about justification, really sets it before us positively and beautifully. Now we come to Lord's Day 24, and it looks at it really from the other side, negatively. And it does that by presenting to us the objections that rise in our hearts too, that rise against the truth of justification by faith alone. In these objections, there's a desire on the part of the sinner to hold on to something in himself. There must be something in me that I can bring to God. And so these are the objections, three of them. If we do good, why can't our good be at least a part of the reason that God accepts us? A part of our righteousness. Maybe just a, a very small part of it. And the answer, of course, is that our good works are never perfect. And that God requires perfection because He's a perfect God. So they can't be a part of it. So the second objection, but our good works are rewarded. They do receive a reward, and that reward comes already in this life and in the life to come. There's a spiritual reward and an eternal reward that God brings to our good works. So the question is, they must earn that reward if they're rewarded, right? And the answer is, no, God is gracious. You never deserve a reward, even when God is pleased to give you one. And then a third objection. Well, if it's all grace... And no works, that's dangerous teaching. And that's dangerous teaching because it will make people careless and profane. It will make them want to say, I can live however I please because my works don't contribute a thing to my salvation. Now, these are not just objections that you hear theologically. These are not just objections that you hear from unbelief, but these are the thoughts that arise in our own hearts as we stand before the righteous God. I've done something, haven't I? And God's rewarded me for what I've done, hasn't he? And if I live in sin, I will be forgiven, won't I? And the answer here to these objections really, as I said, it's not complimentary, really puts us in our place, not only before the righteousness of God, 
but before the grace of full pardon in Jesus Christ. Because that's where this is bringing us. It's bringing us to the Savior. So let's consider this morning the teaching here under the theme, and that's the theme from Luke 17, verse 10. We are unprofitable servants. Notice with me first that we must recognize this. Notice with me second that we must confess this. And then third, that we must live this. We are unprofitable servants, recognizing it, confessing it, and then living it. In the passage that we read in Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells a parable, and and you catch the power of that method of teaching that Jesus used when he said, when he says in verse 7, which of you having a servant? He wants his disciples to put themselves right into the story. And that was the power of the parables. They were they were things that could be related to from real life. And Jesus is going to use this, this story, this parable from real life to, to drive home a point. And it's the same point that's here in the catechism. So Jesus says, which of you? He says, you're wealthy. You have a servant. You both worked in the field all day. You come home at the end of the day. You're tired and exhausted. And He's saying, what is it that ordinarily happens when you get back to the house? And he presents two scenarios. On the one hand, the master might say to the servant, well, you've worked hard all day. Have the evening off. Get some rest. Or on the other hand, the master might say, clean yourself and then make a meal, prepare a meal for us before you get your rest. And he's saying to the disciples, which of these two, two scenarios is, is the most likely? And of course, in the minds of the disciples, it's the second one. He's the servant. This is why he's come home with his master, to continue his work as a servant. And then Jesus adds another question to it. And when he's done all these things, does his master thank him? And the answer is, No. And so the parable, the point of the parable is exactly what Jesus says in verse 10. We are unprofitable servants. We have simply done that which was our duty to do. And Jesus is saying, and this is his point, this is how things are in the relationship between man and God. Think about these things. God and man are not equals. We owe God everything, and God owes us nothing. He's the creator who's made us. He's the lawgiver who places his demands upon us. He's the potter, and we are the clay. He's the Lord and the master, and we are the servants, just as in the parable here. That's the relationship. And when man would try to make himself in some way equal with God, that angers God. He's jealous for his own glory. So in Psalm 50, verses 21 and 22, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. You thought we were just like each other, God is saying. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. You see the the righteous response of the jealousy of God against one who would make himself equal with God. 
And Jesus is saying here in this parable, that's your relationship. You're not on an equal footing with God. And so God, and here's another observation, has the right to, de- to, de- to require a certain duty of us. He makes the rules. He sets the, the standards. His demand is obedience, and his demand is an obedience that matches his own character, not a partial obedience, not a little obedience, not almost all the way obedience, but perfect and complete obedience. And that's legitimate. God made man able to carry out this duty. Earlier in the Catechism, the point's made. Man himself fell into sin and threw away this capability. And then a third observation, and this is from the parable too, it's this, that God is under no obligation to give us anything. And that's the point in verse 10 when it says, we've done all that it was our duty to do. God made us to do these things. And the idea is of obligation, duty, obligation. And even when we've done everything, we've fulfilled every obligation, we are still unprofitable servants. That means we haven't added anything to the glory of God himself. We haven't advanced ourselves beyond anybody else. We've simply done our duty. In obedience, we never go above and beyond the call. And those are the very important basic truths here, the truths of justification that have to do with and reflect the justice of God himself, that God is God, that God is the lawgiver, and that God will maintain his justice in his expectations that he places on man. And we really don't like it. We don't like the justice of God. We don't like the parable and the teaching of Jesus here. And the reason is in our hearts, isn't it? We resist this kind of God. We resist a sovereign God. We resist this kind of relationship and standing to God. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses in the great chapter on the sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? God's is the prerogative. We want equality. We want to establish the rules of the relationship. We feel as though God owes us something. Maybe you say to yourself, well, not really, but it is in our nature, isn't it? It's exactly in our nature when we respond in in the thoughts of the objections here. Done some good things, haven't I? God's going to reward them, isn't he? We observe the life of a very diligent Christian, a person who is very committed in their church life, very devotional in their personal life, 
very neighborly and loving in his relationship to others, a student of Scripture. And we in our minds think, well, as we're amazed at such a character, there's something better, something more deserving, something in this one that's distinguished himself from others. And and if it's me, in my mind, I think that way. And that's the attitude that the instruction, the teaching here is getting at. What are our good works? What relation do they have to our standing before God? Can we bring them, as Cain did, in our hands before God? Will they receive anything and merit anything from him? And we want to say, well, they must be worth something. The four things for us to remember about our good works in the instruction of Scripture. And the first is this, that all that is good in us, and there's no denying that in the heart and the life of the regenerated child of God, there is good works that are produced, that are, in fact, pleasing to God. But the first thing about that is this, that all of that comes from God. In fact, isn't that the truth about all that we are and all that we have as creatures, your breath, your legs, your life, your love for God and the neighbor, your prayers, your knowledge, your faith, your deeds of mercy, all come from God. Ephesians chapter 2 is a, is a great chapter on the, the grace of God that comes to dead sinners. And it uses those words over and over, by grace. So it talks in the first verses about being dead in trespasses and sins, and it says this, but God, in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And then this explanation, by grace are ye saved. Grace comes to us in our sin. And so again in verse 8, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And that's explaining what grace is. Grace gifts to us. Grace gives salvation to us. And verse 10 develops that this way, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. They too are a gift of grace to us. So all that's good must be attributed to God. And then second, we recognize that our best works, I've just mentioned prayers, knowledge, faith, deeds of mercy, our best works are deficient, are defiled with sin, are Isaiah 64, verse 6, and that's quoted here in the Catechism, are as filthy rags before God. That's your best, your best prayers, your best tears in sorrow over your sin, your moments of closest communion with God, your deep digging and reading in the Word of God. Do we dare to bring those to God? Do we dare to, as it were, sew them into the garments 
of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our best prayers need the intercession of Christ. Our best works need to be washed. Our noblest deeds are tainted with selfish ambition. And that takes us another step. And here's the third thing about our good works. Even if we could do everything perfectly, as Adam and Eve were able to do in the garden, still, we would merit nothing with God. That's the point, isn't it, in the parable of Jesus? When you've done everything that it's your duty to do, say, we are unprofitable servants. We're simply, even in perfection, in Adam and Eve in the garden, in perfection in heaven to come, which will be ours, we are simply doing that which God has created us to do. Does a fish, by living in water, earn something from God by fulfilling its created purpose? So with us, all that we receive is from the grace, undeserved, mercy, God. And so the scriptures say this, it is of thy mercies that we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. The mercy of God to us is not simply in our sickness or our injury or in some other way in which is in his providence in which he provides or prevents, but it's of his mercies that we are not consumed. And that helps us to understand the reward, as that's described here in question 63. Do not our good works merit, which God yet will reward in this life and in the future life? And the answer is this. There may be a reward, but it isn't for merit. It isn't deserved. It's of grace. God will reward our good works. God will reward us, even the scriptures say, according to our good works, so that there's a correlation between the reward and the good works that he's enabled us to do. But the good works do not earn the reward. They're never the basis for the reward. Why does God reward us? Simply because he chooses to do it out of his grace to those undeserving. And so we acknowledge this morning we are unprofitable servants. But you notice in verse 10 there, Luke 17, that Jesus says this, when you have done all that it's your duty to do, then say, we are unprofitable servants. That is, confess this. Make this your confession. We are unprofitable servants. And that's the point here in the catechism of, of this explanation and treatment of our good works and the ways that we might, might want to bring them to God or say they're worth something or God does reward them. 
And Jesus wants us to say, to confess, we are unprofitable servants. Say this about yourself. Say this about your own works. You see, it isn't just about this morning understanding this from a theological, a biblical, or an academic point of view to be able to to fit this all into the, the system of doctrine of sovereign grace and salvation, but this has to do with me. And this is intended to uncover the inconsistencies in my own life in this regard. Don't we have standards by which we judge very judicious towards others? And then there's a hypocrisy. Knowledge puffs up, doesn't it? We are unprofitable servants. In the book of Job, chapter 9, the question is asked, how can a man be right with God? And there are two passages in Job that really drive this home. Job chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, Can a man be profitable unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure unto the Almighty when thou art righteous, or is it any gain to him that thou makest thy way perfect? Do we bring anything? Do we add anything? Do we make God, as it were, to smile? By what we do, by our righteousness. And so again in in Job chapter 35 and verse 7, If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thy hand? And you see the echoes of what Jesus says, don't you? Unprofitable servants. You think of the great Apostle Paul and all his work in the preaching of the gospel, and this is the way that Paul evaluates his own work in the ministry in which he, perhaps as none other, gave himself to the work of preaching the gospel. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, nothing to boast in. For, he says, necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You, you understand there that Paul is, Paul is realizing this is simply what God has created me to do and called me to do. Woe if I don't. For I do this, if I do this willingly, he says, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, I'm unprofitable. He's saying. What's your attitude towards your good works? That's really the the practical question that comes to you and me this morning. What do you think about your good works? We're going to come back to this in the Sermon on the Mount this evening. Jesus is going to talk about three kinds of religious activities in Matthew chapter 6. Giving alms praying, and fasting. How do you think you're doing in your religious activity as a Christian, in the living of your Christian life? 
What value do you place on those things? What's your attitude towards those things? Do you notice those things? Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew chapter 6, let not your right hand know what your left hand does. Don't even pay attention to it yourself. And that's the proper attitude to have towards our good works. In Matthew chapter 25, which we read together, we have the illustration that Jesus uses of the great white throne and the lambs of the goats coming before and the separation by the king who sits on the throne to his right and to his left. And then he says on the judgment day to those who come before him on his right, You came and you visited me. Come, he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. I was hungered, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. And they don't claim those things. They don't say, yes, Lord, that's what I did. Now this is what they say, Lord, when did we do that? When saw we thee hungry and fed thee thirsty and gave thee drink? So there is, we could say, an intentionality in the Christian life, in living the Christian life, but there's not a, a self-consciousness in which we reflect back on those things and, as it were, congratulate ourselves. Instead, we recognize these best are defiled with sin. And we lay them before God in our confession as well for his cleansing. And the contrast is the goats. In Matthew 7, verse 22, they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? They present them to God as worthy of, of his rewarding with merit. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. What's your attitude now? All your prayers, all your religious practice, all your sorrow over sin, all your family responsibilities and duties, all your godly living before the world, all your careful obedience to the law of God. Do we bring it before God as Cain brought the works of his hands? Or are we there with Abel with a sacrifice of a lamb? And you see, the Word of God is coming to us this morning exactly with this purpose to direct us away from ourselves, away from anything that we might trust in, in ourselves to Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful word it is. It comes, we could say, to two categories of believers. The believers who are trusting in some way, some proud way, in something that they've done. And it's telling them, it's not your works. 
Don't trust in your works. Look away to Jesus Christ. Don't you feel that call this morning? As in pride you're holding on to something? No, drop it. Look to Christ, Christ alone. But this word also comes to those who, under the weight and the guilt of their sin, with a sense of their unworthiness, are saying, impossible, there's nothing worthy in me. And the Word of God comes to you this morning and says, that's right, look to Jesus, trust in Him. There's your righteousness, there's your salvation, Christ alone, faith alone. And that's the wonderful word of the gospel to us this morning, which is the the gospel of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Don't bring your works. Don't rest in your righteousness. But look away to Jesus. There's one more objection that's raised here in the catechism, and it's the last question and answer. Well, if you preach that, if you preach grace alone, if you preach Christ alone, if you preach faith alone, not works, isn't that going to make people who hear that gospel of sovereign grace careless and profane, careless, careless as the idea of not being concerned at all about how you live? Because it doesn't depend on me anyway. So I can live as I please, right? Careless. The opposite is intentional Christian living. Living in the fear of God. Living in the consciousness that we are before, living before God, our Father. If salvation is free... Won't that make men careless and profane? Profane has the idea of a defiant attitude towards God, a contempt that displays itself in in an irreverence for God himself. Doesn't matter who God is, I'm saved. Now you realize that this objection deals with something that's real. This is not just a hypothetical. It's real. It's a real danger. And it's a real heresy. The heresy, of course, is the the teaching of antinomianism that the law has no bearing on man anymore. God doesn't require obedience. The perfect standard of God's law is, is removed. That's antinomianism. But along with that, there's a, the, the same kind of practical error, and that is the one who lives a life of hypocrisy, a double life. I'm saved to sin. That's what Paul expresses in, in Romans chapter 6. Let us sin that grace may abound. Is that the result? This is the point here. Is that the result of teaching sovereign, free grace and salvation? Is that what the doctrine and the teaching of sovereign grace will produce in others, in the hearers? 
And the answer is a resounding no, no. Those freely saved, graciously saved, do not say, well, now I can sin. Now I have freedom. They do say I have freedom, but the freedom is to love God. And the word that the catechism uses to drive this answer home is the word impossible. It is impossible. If one is truly saved by grace, they are implanted into Jesus Christ. And if they are implanted into Jesus Christ, it is impossible that they not bring forth the fruits of thankful living. This really takes us back to something we said earlier, isn't it? Where do our good works come from? They have their origin in God. And now, if you're implanted into God or into Christ by faith, that union, every union to Christ, is going to produce fruitful, thankful godliness. Careless and profane. Does that perhaps describe your life today? Really don't care about how you live? Profane? There's a kind of a defiance and a rebellion, a rebellious heart towards God and His Word. Then the question is this, isn't it? You have to ask yourself this hard question. Am I in Christ? Am I really in Christ? It's not enough for others to simply tell you to, to try harder, to live better. No, you need Jesus Christ. And that's really the way that the parable begins, or the question that causes Jesus to speak these words. It's an interesting answer to the question of the disciples. The disciples have just been told by Jesus that they will have to endure persecutions, that they must live in such a way that they don't offend others and cause them to fall into sin. And the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Make our faith stronger so that we can endure the persecutions that would come against us and make our faith stronger so that our lives are, are not an offense and a cause for others to stumble into sin. And Jesus doesn't tell them here, well, you can do it. But really, he tells them, it's not in you. It's not in you. Increase our faith, they say. And then he speaks of something very small, something you might say he minimizes them. He says you need faith like a, a grain of mustard seed. And he says everything that you do renders you an unprofitable servant. 
And in that way, just as the thread of the sermon has done this morning, their faith is directed away from self to the Savior. So as you think of your reward, as you think of the glory that you receive in heaven, as you think of the day when you'll stand before the great white throne with the king. What are you looking at? Are you looking at Christ? Or do you look at yourself somehow? Look away. Here's our righteousness in Christ alone. By faith alone. Amen. Father, we are grateful for the gospel of full, free, sovereign, gracious salvation. And with the disciples, we say, Lord, increase our faith. And do this, Lord, by decreasing any confidence that we would have in the flesh. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.